Welcome to the Sargent Podcast. I'm Sarah McClintock. For 21 years, young opera singers from across New Zealand have spent two weeks in Ronganui as part of the New Zealand Opera School. Bay Momenti, which is on view at the Sargent Gallery until the 7th of February, is the result of two separate residencies at the Opera School that were undertaken by painter Felicity Priest. The portraits in this exhibition serve as windows into these days of exclusive and intensive training, as well as providing an intimate view of the school, its teachers, students, and some of the most illustrious names in contemporary New Zealand opera. At the end of the opera school, Felicity and I sat down for a public talk in the gallery. Given my podcasting proclivities, I, of course, recorded it. Talks like this are a regular part of the Sergeant Gallery's public programs and give a unique view into the lives of artists. This was a one-hour talk, so it has been edited down for time. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sergeant Gallery. I'm Sarah McClintock. I'm the Assistant Curator here, and I had the great pleasure and honour of working with Felicity on this show. Um, Thank you all for coming. I think everyone here would probably be interested to know what your background in um, art is and how you came to portraiture and what it means to you. Um, Well, I come from a family where art is always... was always appreciated, albeit very traditional, I suppose, although my father certainly knew who Graham Sutherland was, and, you know, there was, there was a certain amount of talk in the family. But where portraiture is concerned, I grew up with family portraits, and they were always talked about, you know, and it was, of course, who is in the family portrait, but exactly who painted it and what the circumstances were. And my father... Um, did me the honour of giving me a painting which was done of my great-great-grandmother by a very good woman artist in the 19th century, about 1870. Big, big portrait, very grand in the style of Rembrandt. And this, I grew up with this, but knowing that this woman, Mary Waller, was um, married to a a very, very celebrated painter at the time who was a Royal Academician. She became a Royal Academician. And she was actually the better artist. And her, her kind of way of being an artist was to go around country houses and paint the old people and the children. And that was... She accepted that, but she did a fantastic job at it. And my dear old dad gave me the honour of saying, you are a woman artist. You know, said some very nice complimentary things about being promising and you should have this painting. So I have it, it's here in New Zealand. And so I learnt the value of... It taught me to start looking at paintings. So in, when I was in my teenage years, I suppose, I started... We were living in, in southern Spain and I started going to Spanish um, galleries and looked at... Burillo and Thurbran and Velázquez and Goya and, you know. Um, and portraiture really did grab me. And it's, I suppose it's because it's the human element. We're all fascinated by... Human beings are fascinated by human beings, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And I'm no exception. I also think it's interesting that when you talk about that portrait of your ancestor, I quite love that you talk much more about the artist than the subject. Yes. Well, I think, in this case, I think, in a sense, I must have identified with that artist. Mm. And I kind of feel that 
you know, I might have been her in, you know, her former life or something like that. I'm not airy fairy stuff like that, but you know that I, I related very strongly to because she was a strong painter. You know, it was a, it was a, it's a marvelous painting. So um, I went to art school in the sixties. And at that time, we were the very first year of a complete new wave of art teaching, which is what formed the, the current degree course, you know, the, the, the way it's taught now. And, you know, we talked about perceptual and conceptual, and there was a lot of experimentation. And at the end of it, I think a lot of us were, we were stimulated, but we were also confused and arrogantly thought we were already established artists. But I remember saying to somebody who, whose opinion I valued at that time, and I was 20, all of 21, I'm quite interested in portraiture. And they said, what, portraits? Ugh. <laughs> you know, that's a cop-out. What, do you pay portraits? What, for money? <laughs> and I was... I was kind of crushed by that a bit, I suppose. I really admired that person. And I kind of put it, put it to the back, but always drew people, always drew people. And how and when did it become part of your regular practice? Well, we sort of fast forward to 1998, when I, through some, a whole set of extraordinary circumstances, had found myself in Cambodia having done a residency with the Leprosy Centre in Nepal, um, I that then went on to a, a, a residency with um, a conservation project of a 12th century temple in, at Angkor. I don't know whether anybody of you are familiar with Angkor, but this is Prayer Khan Temple. Um, very, very amazing, grand place. And I was given a free hand to make what I, I would as an artist, which I did, and produced something like, oh, over 100 works and had three exhibitions. But, but, there is a but, of course it was fascinating, this was a Hindu and Buddhist temple, um, the architecture was stunning and extraordinary, it was an amazing situation to be in post-Pol Pot, Cambodia at that time, so there was a, a lot there for me. But, I got back to Britain and I'd just been painting with stones, you know, and drawing stone carvings and all the, all the themes within that, that type of architecture. And fascinating though it was, I desperately wanted to connect through my art with people, flesh, you know, living, breathing in the moment. And so I started with the portraiture. And I threw away that little parrot on my shoulder, saying, oh, it's a cop-out, and got on with it. And uh, started by, I was living in Cornwall, and decided that I had to get a portfolio together, so I put it out that I would do these very cheap portraits to everybody I knew. And suddenly I had people saying, oh, yes, I'll do that for £500, you know, I'll come and sit for you. So I painted away, and, and it developed from that and I loved it I loved the being with people and it you know the whole process of of beginning to just 
express what was happening, not only what I saw, but, you know, the conversation, the, the feeling of the person, body language, all of that, straight through onto the canvas, so that it was like a kind of visual record of what had happened, kind of floated off onto the canvas. That was, that was really exciting. Well, I'll jump back a little bit and maybe we can talk about how you came to the opera school. Coming to Wormanui in 2006 and in 2007, that following January, discovering this incredible thing going on here. And having come from London, you know, where there's a surfeit of input, and I really didn't expect something of this calibre to be happening here. And it was an absolute joy. I was completely blown away by the fact that it was so beautifully established and this great work was going on. And I can't quite remember who, but I think I, I, think I approached Donald eventually and we talked about it. And he was incredibly generous and open to the idea of having me kind of bringing my sketchbooks and what have you, and an absolute generosity of allowing me to go into any masterclass, any tutorial, full access, as long as, you know, sometimes it's not appropriate because maybe a student is not going through such a, a, a good time, but um, it was an absolute gift, really. And I'm enormously grateful, really, for that. It's lovely. And it kind of drifted on from year to year. And it's a, it's a, a, a most central part of my year, I have to say. Did you have a body of work in an exhibition like this in mind when you started? Yes, I did, actually. I did. I thought, you know, if, if there was no other purpose, it might raise awareness for, for the school and what it's doing. And if, you know, people in Wanganui know about it, but in other places they might not. And I thought, it, I thought it would, you know, possibly lend a bit of extra exposure. But of course, you know, the, I get a lot from it. And I can't, can't sort of underestimate that. I get a huge kick from doing it. It's the, the, the business of, you know, being with people and who they are, but it's what they're doing. Mm -hmm and what they produce, and the processes of, of, you know, vocal, the vocal processes, the psychological processes, the, the processes within music, um, are, are immeasurable. I mean, they're countless, really. And yeah. here I was in a situation where I could be accessing it, and there was a focus, there was a, a drawing at the end of it, you know, or a painting eventually, or... Well, I think it's the great thing about opportunities like this is, well, not necessarily that it was opportunity because you definitely sought it out and made it a reality, but it's always great when it can be mutually beneficial like this. Like, you get unprecedented access to the masterclasses, are able to um, enrich your work and enrich the opera and the Wangano greater Wanganui community with a suite of works yes, like that, this. Yes, that all sounds really neat, but I mean, the other thing is that um, I did have um, something of a singing training myself, mm. starting from about 28 for six years, 
um, it wasn't in a formal college or um, conservatoire, but it was with a very, very good teacher who had learnt with uh, formerly a, a very good teacher herself. She'd had a full singing uh, career. And in fact, she shared a teacher with Dame Janet Baker and Patricia Routledge, who you might not know is a phenomenal singer. And so I've, I had, uh, you know, uh, some experience. And, you know, I go on learning all the time. It's fascinating seeing what happens in the master classes and how the, how, watching how the students develop is, is a blast, really. It's incredible. And it's amazing how much of the, um, the senses, the, our human senses are mixed together. But I, what I love about your work is, is that seeing something can then trigger a memory of hearing something, or hearing something can tr trigger a memory of smelling something. Yes. So I think the correlation between painting and music is incredibly close. So I think it makes a lot of sense that you'd want to be exploring those two things that you're grounded in yourself. Of course the frequencies of colour are so very different to the frequencies of, I mean in scientific terms, the frequencies in, in music, in sound. But, um, so, you know, it's partly metaphorical, I suppose, and um, there are equivalents, in a sense. You know, we, we kind of edit, edit, this is, we're, we're seeing something, and now we're hearing something, and so our brains work it out. And then you've got people who have that muddled in their brain, which I'm fascinated with, the synesthesia, yes. and the hear of composers who see Scriabin. what they're making, mm -hmm. yeah, which... It's fascinating to think of music as a series of colours and what it would actually look like. Yes, I mean, there's been something... Well, he made a, a special sort of light box, didn't he, Scriabin? Mm. And let's think. Well, there's Fantasia, you know, the Walt Disney, yes. that's, that's another, another thing. But quite a lot of people have had a stab at it. I'm not so sure that I particularly want to do something which is, um, you know, consciously done as that. But I've come to the point now where I, I kind of recognise that a colour sings, mm -hmm. and it sings because of X, Y, Z, you can analyse it, and a sound will, will particular, there's a particular resonance in sound um, which, you know, triggers yeah. some feeling in you. Well, I thought what we might do now is talk about a couple of particular works. We can um, sort of get an insight into your practice and how mm. it goes. So would first go with Simon, um, who I'm sure everyone knows from his time in Wanganui. So, did you approach him to sit? Uh, he came to Wanganui, he was here last year, and he gave that wonderful talk. I expect a lot of people here went to his talk about what it, what it means to be um, a, a tenor. And, you know, it was a very good talk, I thought. And he, <laughs> he's such an engaging person. And his performance at that was, was so quirky and amazing. I mean, he, he wanted to demonstrate some Wagner. And he flung himself on it. And he plays, you know, almost maniacally. <laughs> and sings out. And then 
got very excited and suddenly the piano and the stool kind of rushed <laughs> <laughs> out. I thought it was wonderful. And I took my family, and you know, they're not, they said, you know, oh, we'll go in that sort of opera, oh, but they were completely inspired and entranced by this person, and as I was. And so I, I thought, God, oh, I really want to paint his portrait, I really want to paint his portrait. So I went and asked the, the director, and, and um, what, what do you think? He said, well, just go and ask him. So I, okay, so I went and asked him, he said, oh, you know, Simon, I'd be so honoured, oh, that would be wonderful. And I thought, well, he's just saying that, what do I know? <laughs> anyway, I did follow it up, and he said, yes, I've got your card, and I've been meaning to get in touch with you, and he was completely open and generous-hearted about it. So off I went to Auckland and painted him, and he gave me full, four full days in which he was rehearsing for a part which he might have to step into at the last minute um, in San Francisco, I think it was. And it was um, the Meistersinger of Nuremberg, um, Wagner. And um, he sat with the, he stood, he dressed up in his full regalia, and he stood with his um, music and he had the recording there and it was blasting out and he blasted out and, and I painted like fury <laughs> and that was a very reactive really mm. but it was very involving and, and a massive amount of fun and um, his approbation helped of course he was, oh that's, oh I can't believe you've done that oh that's fantastic <laughs> he's, he's, he's such a large and warm-hearted person mm. I think Everyone would be interested to know you paint, you don't do preliminary sketches, you paint no. directly on to the canvas. No, no. I mean, that, that is, it's, it's, it's kind of working at risk, but I rather like that risk. It, and there is, you know, I don't know whether you're familiar with um, Japanese calligraphy or Zen calligraphy, but there is something, there's a, there's a power that, that the, to me, it seems that the energy is laid down directly responding from the energy that has informed it. And to do a kind of study and, you know, get it right, and that seems to me very product-orientated. This is process-orientated mm. work that, that I'm engaged with. And really, the... the um, the, the initial marks are the most exciting. And there's one you can just see under there, um, just above the, the hand. Um, I, I kept it in the last minute. Sort of, of course, he went, ah, and I went, like that, with the, with the brush. And um, he said, I really love that mark. And when we were talking, do you remember? Mm, yeah. Um, I said, I don't know whether I should leave that mark in. And you said... Why don't you leave it until the last minute? Because that'll keep you in contact with the, yeah, with with the, that energy. So I've, I've just left it so you can't see <laughs> it. But um, there's something very exciting to me about about that. You know, the, these marks that go down. And of course, this this whole thing has been analysed. I was watching a um, 
a YouTube the other night. Thank God for YouTube. It's wonderful, isn't it? Um, it was uh, Zen calligraphy, and this man, uh, the Japanese man, explained that there's carbon in the ink, and Samsung have done well. If you can take two scenarios, one where somebody is not engaged in what they're doing, and they just kind of splashed it down without any kind of mindfulness. And then another scenario where somebody has done the, the stilling and brought themselves down and is in reverence and then makes the mark. Is everything's ready and then they make the mark. And now Samsung did a, an analysis of those two pieces of work and they put it under a microscope and of course it blew up, and 50,000 times, I think. I think it was 50,000. And they found that the one, the former one, you know, the, the first one, was all jagged, and the, you know, the actual molecules were all sort of jagged. And the other one was, everything was flowing and even and beautiful. And I, I think, you know, that is the actual stuff of, of what and I notice that if I'm not really connected that it, it shows they say also that you know love shows in, a, in, a, in, in the marks that you make it's always very evident and I think, I think you know there's some kind of detective mechanism we have where we, we, we can see it straight away Yeah. so you see there's a lot of love here Yes. <laughs> I thought I'd have one more question before I put the questions to you guys. Where to now? Are you working on anything in particular at the moment? And do you think what um, you think you'll work on soon? I'm going to draw breath, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else have any questions for Felicity? It's always a frightening moment. <laughs> Um, I think the gentleman at the back had his hand up first. Um, your paintings are beautiful and are full of light. Um, what's your relationship with light? How does it reveal itself as you paint? Absolutely dependent on it. <laughs> <laughs> totally dependent on it. It's the, it's the stuff of life, isn't it, light? You spoke earlier about the process with the calligraphy and that importance of sort of being prepared. I just wondered whether or not you were prepared to share with us what it is you do to get yourself in the zone, if you like, to uh, set yourself up before you begin. Well, in the commission portrait, very often people don't know what the process is and they're very fearful. So they're somehow fearful. I, I don't quite understand still what it is. They're fearful of themselves or being revealed. I think in the commission portrait, there's very often there's a settling that has to take place. So I'm preparing myself for that as well. And what I normally do, which gets me into it and helps them as well, is I, I leave the palette clear and then I squidge out the paint. And they say, oh, what's that? And I just, we start talking about the paints, and they get drawn into the stuff of it. And that, that helps me 
get into it. It's a kind of practical thing. It's, there's something sort of repetitive and very satisfying about it, but it's also, you know, you get drawn into it. So that, that's a sort of practical thing. Music, very important. So if it's not with somebody else, and I'm just starting to paint, and, you know, feeling a bit heavy and, ooh, I'm going to get on with some painting. Um, Bach, Philip Glass, Arvo Pert. Not opera, not opera actually, so much. Um, b baroque music, especially if it's in the morning, baroque. Um, jazz sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes you sort of feel you want to be warmed up, so there's some, you know, Billy Holiday <laughs> kind of warms you up a bit. I, I think there's so many, so many connections, but music is really important. Thanks for listening. The Sargent Podcast is released monthly and is produced by the Sargent Gallery to Wariorihua Wanganui. Information and pictures relating to this episode can be found on our website, www.sargent.org.nz.